We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Tony Elliott. He is currently a goalkeeper coach with Bristol City Woman. Phenomenal resume in the game, both as a player and a coach at, at a lot of different levels as well. England blind football goalkeeper coach, English FA futsal goalkeeper coach developer, does a lot of good work online too and is also the author of A Modern Approach to Goalkeeping which I hope you will check out after this interview for sure. So we don't do a lot of goalkeeper interviews. We've had two really, really good ones in the past with David Priest and Shaka Hislop. But I wanted to take this one in a different direction. Instead of talking about goalkeeping in general and the modern game, I wanted to look at how do you interact and manage goalkeepers and goalkeeper coaches in your environment as either a director or a head coach, whatever role it is in a club. So something that I've started to consider more and more in recent years and really good insight from Tony here that you're going to enjoy. So please let me know what you think at Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. If you're a fan of the podcast and would like to support it along with getting a little bit more exposure to more content online, more webinars, please check out the Modern Soccer Coach community platform. For just $6 a month, you get access to over 300 video session exercises, monthly webinars, regular online discussions where coaches can share knowledge openly, get different detailed perspectives on a variety of topics within the game. So just this week, we've uploaded our October webinar which was breaking down a low block. I've looked at different ways to break down a team who is committed to defending deep for the majority of the game. In other words, how do you beat a team that's parked the bus? So I've looked at 10 ways to break them down with some video analysis. I've added some training session ideas, some player development ideas. So please feel free to check it out. There's a little preview of the latest webinar on my YouTube page, Gary Kernin. You can go to modernsoccercoach.com slash community to sign up and take a look at the platform. Or you can go into modernsoccercoach.com slash shop Order yourself any of the books and you get an annual subscription for only $60. Really appreciate the support from all the coaches around the world on this. Here is Tony. Enjoy. Tony, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Excited to have you on. Yes, uh, pleasure, Gaz, and, and thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm humbled and, and honoured to, uh, to be asked. Just to give us a little bit of more perspective, we just said there before we started recording from a, from a head coach or from a from, I suppose, just a traditional coach, uh, yeah. field coach point of view. Start on this here and then we'll see where it goes. So one of the decisions that Pep Guardiola has has made when he came to Man City was obviously changing Joe Hart and the goalkeeper in order to play the type of game that he wanted. Mm-hmm. Do you think today, you know, everyone wants to play this progressive style of football. Can you do that with a goalkeeper who's not comfortable with the ball at their feet? I think it's making it more tougher now in, in the modern game, guys. I think you've seen, you know, uh, 
Guardiola, it took him two or three goalkeepers to find the one that he actually wanted. Um, you know, he has his mindset on a certain way of playing, and, and obviously when you look at Edison now and his capability with his feet, his range of passing, um, literally, you know, and, and, it, and it is that term, I guess, he is like an 11th player now. Um, you know, fantastic when teams want to press City high because that's like playing into their hands. You know, at the end of the day, if you've got a goalkeeper like him that can just pick a pass out anywhere on the pitch under pressure, um, you know, and, and, and teams try to press you, you know, it, it's so dangerous for opposition teams to do that. Um, I think, it, as I said, yeah, it's becoming more and more difficult now if your goalkeeper can't play with the feet. Purely and simply, I think, because a lot of coaches now are sort of trying to do it the Guardiola way or to at least play out from the back, you know, and I think it frustrates a lot of people sometimes, you know, the, the, the football supporters around the, the country and around the world who are used to sort of the goalkeeper getting it and just either giving it to somebody that can play or just booting it up the pitch. Um, you know, it's not that way now. You know, people are, are, are becoming more accustomed to the goalkeeper having the ball and looking for options, you know, when they've got the ball at their feet and trying to be very selective when they're playing the ball out. Um, you know, and that could be simple as, you know, the way that the new goal kick rule has come into to play now in, in terms of restarts. You know, you've got defenders dropping off nearly to the goal line now to receive the ball off the goalkeeper. You know, that's frightening some supporters to death because it's something that they're totally not used to. Um, you know, but teams are now working on that. They're inviting the press and then they're, they're, they're using the goalkeeper as an overload and then they're out and up the pitch very quickly. So you've got to have a goalkeeper not just that can defend the goal and, and he's good with with the hands and you know in terms of shot stopping, uh, but also now that can play with the feet. Not just not just good with the feet, but good with both feet. You know, um, because they're expected to work as a pivot player now and, and play out from both sides of the pitch and have a passing range with, with both feet if if that can be worked on and coached. So uh, I think if you can find a goalkeeper with that capability now, it's going to add a, a, a massive plus to your squad. Um, you know, but I think as goalkeeper coaches, we must now work uh, to develop our goalkeepers, not just on you know the, the, the quality of the pass, but the range of passing, uh, and also to work on both feet because it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent in the modern game. Pep's a bit of a trendsetter, obviously, in the coaching community for the past few years, at least. This movement with the goalkeeper and this the things, the innovations that he's done with the goalkeeper in terms of the build-up play and then the team selection and the recruitment ways, have you seen it benefit the goalkeeping community with head coaches putting a bit more emphasis there, or has he almost set the bar a bit too high? Have have we got to you know learn to walk before we can run, so to speak, with the goalkeepers? No, I think for to be honest with you guys, I'm loving it because I think it's really challenging the goalkeeper coaching fraternity. You know, we now, as I said to you, you know, we, we've been used to, you know, working in isolation with our goalkeepers. You know, the head coach will go, yeah, you take the goalkeepers and, you know, we'll see you in an hour or an hour and a half and then, you know, we'll join in for half an hour, have a five-a-side or a game and that's it, done, see you later. But now, you know, for me, when I work, you know, I try to um, work my practices and my, my work in isolation with the keepers very much linked to the themes or the the patterns that the, the head coach wants to sort of work on in training. So, you know, if we're working on, for instance, you know, the, the, the coach is working on in possession in, in, a, in a session and, and, you know, we might be facing an opposition, you know, in, a, in, in playing in a particular way, then my, my practices will, um, you know, try to match that and, and be relevant to that so that the goalkeepers are ready 
um, to go into those practices, and and they've been primed already with the with the the structure that I've brought in with my session. You know, so if we're doing in possession stuff as a group, then surely my work with the goalkeepers must try and match that. So we do a lot of work around uh, in possession. You know, um, working on the control, working on the touch, working on the short, medium, and long distance passing. Sometimes on a post, sometimes a post. So. When the goalkeepers go into the, the the practice with the squad or with the group, it's they've already done something relevant to what they're going to be going into. Yes, we'll still work on, you know, handling and movement around the goal. But if there's a big theme that's maybe in possession, then I'll try and make my work with the keepers in isolation as much geared towards that next part as I possibly can. And obviously, um, you know, you flip it vice vice versa. If we're doing a lot of out of possession stuff, the team's working on defending, then my work will. Um, you know, dictate as such what what the keeper is going to go into in that next phase. So we'll look at stuff on defending the goal, defending the area, defending the space, and that all then makes sure the goalkeepers are ready, as I said, and primed to go into the next part with the group. Um, I think now, for me, I think as goalkeeper coaches, we've got to be comfortable with, you know, not every day if we're working full time, not every day having massively long sessions with the goalkeepers before they link in with the group. I'm more than comfortable to do a 20-minute, 30-minute warm activation and warm-up session with the goalkeepers and then for them to quickly be linked in with the team because then that's where they're going to be uh, gaining opportunities to make decisions based on what they're going to be going into in the games at the weekend. So for me, that's more important. I'm not precious and possessive over I must have an hour or an hour and a half with the goalkeepers every day. Um, you know, that's my mindset. That's how I've changed. And, and I think it works for, for both the goalkeepers and the head coaches who, who they're going to play for, you know. Yeah, that's a great point there. Offsetting your work with the session plan from the coach yeah. in terms of the principles and the themes. Whenever you're then going into, you know, that session, the breakdown of that session, you don't need a, yeah. an awful lot of time do you get them out a little bit earlier and do what you need to do or do you like to have them as much as possible with the team or how's that broken down? Yeah, so again, I'll gauge it depending on, on you know, day by day because if, if I can pinch an extra 20 minutes, uh, you know, here or there, then I'll do that. I think the other thing is that, you know, we're very much uh, under the watchful eye of our, our sports scientists now who, who gauge every minute that the, that the goalkeepers, the players, you know, take part in the session. So, you know, as I said, you know, back in the day, you, you could have the goalkeepers out for three hours and nobody blink an eye, you know. Uh, nowadays, you know, they're very much, you know, uh, working around the GPS units, working on, you know, their loading and everything else. So we have to be quite careful as to how much time we actually do try and pinch and how much extra work we're giving the goalkeepers. I try and fit in with, with everybody. I try and keep a happy medium. As I said, so I'm not precious and possessive. You know, I work very closely with my goalkeepers, recognise what their needs are. But then I'm also comfortable linking in with the, the sports scientists, you know, working on the physical side, uh, you know, of the goalkeeper's preparation, making sure that we don't load them at the wrong times of the week, especially as we get closer to the games. Uh, and then obviously working hand-in-hand hand with the, the head coach and assistant coach to know exactly what we're doing during the week, what we're doing in, you know, the sessions in particular, is it in possession, out of possession, and how I can then complement what they do with the way I link the goalkeepers into the practice. Um, and as I said, I find that it's working quite smoothly and, and I think everybody's enjoying the process now. Let's go back to the the piece on the head coach and the relationship uh-huh. between head coach and talk about, just yeah. talked about Pep Guardiola and, and the demands of it. Have you seen that relationship between the 
coach, the head coach and the goalkeeper. When I was started being a coach, I've always been, as a head coach, I've always been fortunate to have really good goalkeeper coaches and I've always let them do it. And I've never really had a close relationship with the goalkeeper. Does a head coach today need to have a closer relationship? Have you seen any movements in that? In my view, yes. I think, you know, that's where we're heading. I think uh, I think it's very important now, you know, you look at the goalkeeper coach's pathway who not only, you know, goes and qualifies himself as a goalkeeper coach by doing specific goalkeeping courses, but we also have to go through the the, uh, the pathway of, of being an outfield coach, what we do in the UK anyway. Um, so you can't just go and say, right, I'm going to specialise in my goalkeeping and just do the goalkeeping qualifications. You know, in England, we have to go along the pathway of gaining an outfield qualification first before we can then go and qualify as a goalkeeper coach at the same level. So from my point of view, you know, I, I particularly think that that's right because then you've got a broader idea of the game itself before you actually go and, and specialise in, you know, the role of the goalkeeper and the pivotal role they now play in playing the modern game. You know, I'm fortunate I played the game, so I was a you know a pro for 14 years. So, I have that experience and knowledge to fall back on, but I think having gone through the outfield coaching pathway um, and then sort of jumped across and, and, and sort of finished off my knowledge around goalkeeping with some real expertise from some fantastic people, um, that then has enhanced me as a coach and hopefully, um, you know, the, the head coaches that I work with, we work with as goalkeeper coaches, will now see those the benefit of including us in conversations, in looking into what we do and how we work and how we prepare the goalkeepers, but also being open-minded enough to sometimes ask us for advice or you know, just to, for us to share that knowledge and experience that we've had that may complement the whole group and not just the goalkeeping unit. That's, that's for me, where the open-mindedness of the outfield coaches of paramount importance. If they're not, if they're closed off, then you've got a bit of a problem. But I think it's also to do with um, your belief and your your confidence as the goalkeeper coach and trusting in what you know and the knowledge that you have and, and, and not being afraid to, to challenge sometimes what, what people's thinking might be and what their rationale behind decisions are. Um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be working, you know, with the head coach at the moment and she's very open to, to my knowledge and, and, and my opinion on things. Um, and as I said, I'm finding it's working very well and uh, hopefully that will benefit the, the keepers and the squad that we're working with. Yeah, that synergy is so important in staffs and and just getting the environment right. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on again that that chemistry and synergy in an elite environment between goalkeeper number one, two, and possibly goalkeeper number three. How do you manage or balance the fact that they're all you know you want to keep them competitive for for their keep pushing each other, but then yeah. how important is it that they're all you know a club or a team within a team? Yeah, so, you know, people talk about it in, in a sense, a goalkeeping union, which you know, I think it very much is, you know, we we have a slightly different group ethic, work ethic, I guess, uh, way of working with each other because, you know, it, it is that specialist position on the pitch that, that requires specialist work. You know, all players, are, you know, have their own way of developing their, their skill sets. But as a goalkeeper, you know, it is a, a very specific set of skills that, that goes into complementing the squad. Um you know, people often ask me the same question and, and I think it's all to do with the environment you create. I think it's about sort of the way you work with people, the way you connect with people and, and, and making sure that they quickly get an understanding of what 
you require to make your group of, of, of goalkeepers work for the betterment of the whole group, the whole squad. Um, so it's creating a, an environment, creating a culture that's, you know, one of learning, one of um, sharing knowledge, one of being prepared to back each other and support each other, regardless of who's playing. At the end of the day, guys, there's only one, you know, position on the pitch that the goalkeeper can fill, and that's as, as the number one, you know, the one who's playing. So only one of your, your your group of keepers can play, you know, in any particular game. So from my point of view, I think it's just creating an understanding, um, but also, uh, you know, being open enough with all of them to be honest with them. Um, so if they're not performing or there's elements of the game that they need to develop to get them to that next level, then we must be honest enough with them to share that detail and to make sure that we, we try and help them develop so that they can then go and compete for that number one jersey, you know. Um, I think it's just constant conversation, making sure that they're always okay. You know, I think not, uh, you know, treating any of them with any sort of favouritism. I know it's a danger and I've seen it happen where certain goalkeeper coaches can get too pally, too close, too friendly with the number one. And they forget that they might have another one or two goalkeepers to sort of keep happy and, and fulfil on a daily basis. So, you know, I, I try and keep the group together, keep them close. I always involve them, you know, as a group in terms of analysis, you know, and, and going through footage and clips. Even if we're looking at, you know, the clips and the footage of the goalkeeper that's played, I'll always bring the other goalkeepers in to share what they think and not be afraid to, to give their opinions on things. You know, I think it's an open an open dory, an open open table as such to for others to express what they're seeing and what they think, you know, might help the individual or the group develop, uh, you know, to, to become better goalkeepers. So I think, as I said, Jim, it's also about you as an individual, as a coach, and believing in what you know, believing in what you do in your processes, but also having the confidence enough to say that, yes, I agree with that, or no, I don't. And this is the way sometimes that you might have to work. You might have to ultimately make the final decision on things and have real clarity on the way you want your goalkeepers to work. So um, I think the shared process, keeping the group together, always having conversation with them, always being in contact and touch with them without being too much in the face. I think that's of vital importance for all the uh, the goalkeepers that you work with. You've worked with a lot of teams, both as a player and as a coach. What's your take on who's making the decision for the number one spot and what's the best way to facilitate that to the that goalkeeper union? Yeah, I think ultimately, look, you know, we work with the goalkeepers day in, day out. You know, we, we you know, whether that be short periods of time, longer periods of time, you do your work off the pitch with them in the classroom. Um Ultimately, the decision of who plays is the head coach. You know, there's no getting away from that fact. Um, but it's like I've said to you before, I think it's very important. If you're working with these people on a daily basis, you probably know a lot more about them than the head coach will. Then it would be naive of the head coach not to ask your opinions and what your thoughts are. And, you know, as I said, you know, over the years, I've been fortunate enough to work with some fantastic head coaches, some great people. More times than not, you know, they've come to me to ask my opinions. Um, and generally, they'll listen to those opinions. On the odd occasion, um, you know, they won't or, you know, they, they've got a, a gut feeling that they have to go with. And, and I've no issue with that. You know, ultimately, they're the head coach and it's their head on the block should they not get a result. But it's always an interesting one if you give advice and you give an opinion and the head coach goes against it and then the results don't uh, 
go their way, suddenly you get the evil eye and uh, well, you can't turn around exactly and say, well, I told you so, can I? Um, so that, that's when it becomes a little bit more difficult, you know. Then you just have to kind of buffer it, you know, and uh, and just get on with your job and you know, under your, under your breath, I guess you sometimes say, well, you should have listened to me, you know. Um, but I'm old enough now and, and experienced enough to know that in general, the coaches will ask an opinion. More times than not, they'll go with that opinion. And uh, I'd like to think that, you know, it is, it is more times than not the correct opinion. And uh, judgment doesn't let me down far, you know, too often, mate. Yeah. So then on that, what's your involvement or what is a, a typical or a effective goalkeeper coach, head coach involvement in a game? When you're sitting on the bench, are, are you... Are you just in an observation role? Do you still think you can make an impact during the game? Is it just a support yeah. system? How, how do you work through that? No, I think, you know, my view is, look, and, and I think this is of vital importance, any member of staff, you know, so look, the head coach, they select who they want working with them. They have their own selection processes and philosophy. You know, sometimes it's it's just good friends that they know, they can trust and Sometimes they might be not the most knowledgeable people, but they know more times than not they're going to back them. Um, you know, whatever the case, I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing sometimes. Um, my view is I think it is a trust thing, but it's also a trust of knowledge and understanding and, um, you know, of the game. Um, you know, my role in particular, it's multi multifaceted. So it's not just as the, the goalkeeper coach, you know, look after set plays. Um, you know, you look into the the opposition goalkeepers. You're looking for fallibility in them that you can maybe offer to your your field players so that they've got a little bit of an awareness around possible weaknesses of the opposition goalkeeper. Um, game to game, generally it will be it will be a support role. Obviously, you know, you look after the goalkeepers in the warm up and everything else. But during the game, I'll be keeping a close eye on set plays. Um, you know, so if there's any anything different from what we've seen uh, or that we've worked on in analysis, then I'll have to quickly um, see that and share that to the to the players on the pitch. And the, and the head coach is normally comfortable with me, you know, standing and then going and, and, and giving an instruction instantly because if we talk about it, discuss it, it's too late. You know, we need to, if we see things, we need to get it out there and, and there needs to be an action created from the players. If it's wrong, then we discuss it after. Hopefully you get it right more times than not. Generally, you know, we, we do. Um, and then, you know, there might be the odd situation where, you know, the goalkeeper makes a poor decision or, you know, uh, you know I think the old traditional one, if a goal goes in and it's a goalkeeping mistake, you know, you'll get the, the look of the, the wrath of the manager. But listen, I understand that. And, uh, you know, uh, nobody's infallible, you know, the, nobody's, you know, fully perfect. So there are going to be situations sometimes when that happens and you deal with that, you deal with that. Um, I think that's the important thing then is that, you know, you you, you back your goalkeeper, but you know they've also got to understand if they made a mistake, they made a mistake, and they're and they're, um, they're responsible for that and uh, culpable, you know. So, um, as I said, mainly about support. You look after the head coach. You offer your bits of gold dust when they need it, um, but you're there for them, and, and hopefully that that helps add to the group and complements the detail that they're getting from the head coach and assistant coach without coming across. Um, too heavy, you know. So I'm not constantly standing up. I'm not constantly bellowing detail out. Um, you know, obviously when we have substitutions, I'll be giving detail to the subs coming on what their roles and responsibilities are in set plays, and it just takes a little bit of pressure off the the head coach and the assistant coach, and they can fully focus on what's happening on the pitch at the time. So we just try and share the load, and if people need to bounce things off you, then you do that. You're there for them, and they know that, but you're not in the face all the time, you know. 
What's your level of input then with the goalkeeper, that player-coach relationship at half-time? Do you let them breathe, stand back? Do you have a process that you go through? What's your insight there? Yeah, keep it short and sharp. You know, and again, goalkeepers of the level that I'm working at, guys, they'll know. You know, they they you know they're very self-aware, and that they'll they'll fully know more times than not um, as to what's right and what's wrong if they've done something really well. They don't need me patting them on the back because they know they've done that. And at the end of the day, that's the job. They're paid to, to sort of keep the ball out of the net or, or, or to pass the ball 20 yards with quality to a, a player that's going to receive and so on. And if they don't do that, they, at the same token, they understand and know that. Same token, it doesn't need. they don't need me in their face having the right pop at them, you know. I think for me, I've used the term, you know, and I've used it for many years now. And I think it's, it's just recognising when, where and how to sprinkle that little bit of gold dust that they might need. That could be during the game. It could be one little shout across the pitch or a little bit of information in a break in play. And literally at half-time, it could just be one or two key pointers that you might see that might just help them for the next phase of the game, the second half, or it might just help them in the long term. So I think, you know, depending on the level that you're working at, it'll also depend on the individuals you're working with and recognising whether they want that feedback or not during the game. Because a lot of goalkeepers, they're just focused on the job. They don't want to be discussing things or talking about things. It might purely and simply be that you leave it um, and then you discuss it after the game or you do it during analysis in the following week. Um, You know, again, currently I'm working with goalkeepers that are very open, very willing and receptive to, to, um, you know, accept detail and and those bits of gold dust. Um, And that, that suits us down to the ground as a group. So keep it short and sharp, not too much in the face. If they need it, you know, they'll know and, and um, you can offer that and uh, hopefully that'll uh, help them develop through the next phase of the game or, or moving forward. Yeah, that role then on game day as a facilitator between goalkeeper, head coach, goalkeeper, coach, I'm going to put you in the spot here. Whenever Sari and the Kepa incident and, yeah. you, and you're sitting on that Chelsea bench, mm. how would you have handled that? Um... I'll be totally honest with you. Kepper wouldn't have reacted that way if he was one of mine. Because he'd have understood the environment that I've created. So whether that's contentious or not, um, I, would, I wouldn't have liked to think a goalkeeper that I work with would have dealt with that situation in that way. So, you know, it's a tough one. It's a tough call because obviously there's a lot of conversation around the why and what was going on and everything else. Um, but at the end of the day, the manager wanted to to make a decision, and ultimately, you, you go with what the manager says. I think that was the beginning of the end for Sari, you know, um, rightly or wrongly. But I would like to have thought that a goalkeeper that I work with would have looked at. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to suggest that they bow to authority, but at the end of the day, there was a reason why that situation was wanted to be happening. But he undercut the manager big time on that situation. Um, and I don't know whether whether that was the right thing for him to do. Um, probably won't be held against him in the in his future. You know, these players are earning hundreds of thousands of pounds, so they're they're uh, you know they're an asset. And, and uh, trouble is sometimes people don't want to upset them because they're they're that much of an asset. Um, but in no uncertain terms, whether he you know we should have done that during the game or after the game, it would have been told. Um, and that would be my view. So. Um, many people will challenge that and question that. Yeah, he's he'd done it because he was all right and 
But, you know, I, th I think the other thing was there wasn't enough communication had, um, you know, possibly over the situation. And even during when it was happening, I think it was messy. You know what I mean? Um, maybe not the right people was trying to get the information to him or he wasn't discussing it enough with individuals or who was to know what was discussed before the game. So I just think the whole thing was messy. But at the end of the day, from my point of view, and I guess, you know, it's down to a respect thing. If the manager's wanting something to happen, then you go with that. Um, he clearly on that day decided it was his decision. Um, and he's made that call. And uh, I think it was an embarrassment for, for a lot of people on that day, which was a shame, really. Yeah. I mean, it's it's still fascinating, Tone, like eight months, mm. nine months later. I, I yeah. mean, I still look at it and think, without passing judgment and not knowing behind the scenes what's going mm. on, 20 years ago, I would have thought yeah. if there was a goalkeeper coach on the bench, he probably didn't yeah. have much of an input. But we are now in 2019, yes. where even in our environment here, our goalkeeper mm. coach, Rat Ratty, is so heavily involved in the day to day mm. that he mm. could not get, if there was a situation like that, you know. Yeah, exactly. It seemed exactly. as if he was sitting minding his hope. I don't know. Well, he was. Going. He was. And I, th I think there was a little bit of, it looked to me as I was, a bit, I don't know whether I call it, call it fear or, or kind of deflection of, or I'm not getting involved in that. But for me, this is what I said to before. You know, at the end of the day, my head coach now knows I'll, I'll back her to the hill. And if she makes a decision, you know, ultimately, especially on the big stage, I would never go against it. That's just not what you do. Do you know what I mean? You might, you know, quietly challenge it or, or have a conversation, but you would never, you know, in front of, of you know, thousands of people, like not back the, the head coach in that situation. Clearly, the communication had broke down. As I said to you, I think things weren't great at the time there. Um, I think there was a lot of issues around the whole setup and, and maybe disjointedness, shall we say. Um, and it just got messy. And I think that was the, the straw that broke, broke the camel's back, really, um, you know, in terms of, of his future at the club. Um, it did undermine him. Um, you know, it looked like the player was making the decision ahead of the coach and, and that created the difficulty for him. And ultimately, he left the club, you know, albeit on the back of a bit of success, you know. So, um no, an interesting one. Like I said, Gaz, you know, <laughs> we're talking about, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, no. But we're in the modern game now. The, everything's changed. The whole process, the whole game has changed. Um, and we have to be so careful now as to how we approach things, really because of the, the ramifications that might come of the back of, of a word in somebody's ear or, or saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, you know. Um, so you do have to watch your backs now, which is which is is a dangerous place for us to be. In, but ultimately, we've created it. <laughs> they have indeed. Those situations that that come up with pressure. Have you been exposed to either as a player or as a as a goalkeeper coach that situation where you've taken the goalkeeper off in the penalty shootout? Um, to be honest with you, no. We, uh, you know, we've. Recently, you know, obviously a lot of my work has been around the blind squad, um, the England blind squad. So, you know, obviously a lot of our games will go to penalty shootouts and we often have conversations around, you know, which goalkeeper we should use. But I think ultimately, you know, you'd like to think that your your goalkeepers are equipped enough to deal with with those situations. You know, look, you know, people go back to the, the Holland situation a few years ago where... Uh, you know, they changed the goalkeeper for penalties and, and it and it turned out to be successful. You know, 
very few and far between. You know, is that luck? Is it judgment? It's hard to call. You know, if the player hits it in the opposite corner, then they score, and 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 you know, nobody then says, "Oh, yeah, what a great decision." It, it's the same with substitutions. You know, during the game, you can keep players on the field and suddenly you, you make a substitution, the sub comes on and scores, oh, it's a wonder decision and fantastic. Well, you know, listen, if it's going to happen, mate, it's going to happen, you know. Um, sometimes fate plays a part and I think uh, very rarely would I be comfortable throwing a goalkeeper on that hasn't had any contact with the ball or been involved in the game of, you know, at any point other than just, you know, um, analysing and watching from the side and then suddenly they're in what could be, you know, one of the biggest moments for that team of a season or, you know, perhaps in a in a year or whatever or a decade, you know, you just it's it's such a risky thing to try and do. So I think all I try and do in those situations, especially when you go into cup ties and that and again this is where that joined learning is very important and group learning is that all keepers would have awareness around you know, the opposition penalties and who their penalty takers are and where they normally try to place them and so on. So, you know, if they're involved at any point, you know, if your starting keeper's going to do the penalties, fine. They, they know the information. If the the bench keeper has that detail and let's say, for instance, the, the starting keeper gets injured or sent off or, you know, then they're ready and prepared as well. But I, I don't know how comfortable I'd be in changing the keeper um, for a penalty shootout because it, it might just um, you know it might just throw up trouble as it has been proven with the, with the Chelsea situation you know clearly Kepa didn't want that to happen he thought he was prepared and that's why he's uh, he stuck to his guns but I think as I said to you if that's been discussed before the game and he's been told that if it goes to penalties they're going to change him then for me, the fellas made the wrong call because he must have agreed to it or, you know, there must have been some kind of discussion had and then in the heat of the moment, he said, no, I'm going to stay and, and, and that's caused the problem, you know. So we'll never know. We'll never know because, you know, at the end of the day, they haven't shared it. They haven't, you know, divulged that information, not fully anyway, and uh, we'll probably never get to the bottom of it. But um, hopefully I won't ever be put in that position. Yeah, it'll be an interesting book when that one comes out someday. Yeah, it will be, mate. It will be. <laughs> I'd love to see the uh, the look on some people's faces when they see the full detail and the honest detail of what went on. A common complaint over here or a challenge yeah. at the youth level especially, my goalkeeper doesn't communicate enough. What's your tips to help develop this? Well, I think straight away people just use that term communicate or communication. To me, guys, that's very fluffy. There's not enough detail in that. Or what are you actually asking your goalkeeper to communicate? How are you asking them to communicate? You know, for me, there's many, many different um, facets of that that term that that needs to be um, offered to the goalkeeper in terms of understanding and development. You know, for me, they, they need to instruct. Yeah, they need to give information. There's also the way in which they do it. You know, and again, I'll go back to the blind squad. You know, working with the goalkeepers in blind football. Um, sometimes in terms of communication can be very different um, to the way you work with a, a you know a, a goalkeeper in a team that of players that are fully sighted you know um, the pitch and tone of the voice the projection of the voice is absolutely pivotal when a goalkeeper is working with a blind footballer because they can either create calmness or they can create chaos depending on how they deliver that that message that they're trying to get across to that individual. You know, um, the slightest offset or, or wrong way of delivering that that message can be very costly. 
Um, so, and that's the way I tend to work with goalkeepers. I think the other thing is when people talk about communication, does your, your goalkeeper actually know what they need to say, when they need to say, and how they're going to, how they're going to deliver that message to the player that they're giving the detail to? I think more times than not, coaches, um, you know, per se, don't spend enough time, um, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch, giving the detail to the goalkeepers that they work with to help them enhance their skill set to enable them to be able to give that detail specifically in the moment, depending on the situation that's happening in front of them. And that can literally be, you know, as simple as, right, you know, if somebody's bearing down in goal, on goal, the defender's chasing them down, well, what do I need to do now? Do I just focus on the ball? Do I give information to the defender? When do I stop giving information and concentrating on the job? So on and so forth. There's so many different things, guys, that can go into the keeper getting that right or getting it totally wrong. I honestly think it is down to detail. It's down to knowing what to say, when to say it and how to say it. And do we as coaches spend enough time working with our goalkeepers on that aspect of the game? For me, I don't think we do. And I think we need to learn more about that. And we need to offer more support to our goalkeepers in terms of that. Yeah, I experienced that myself about, yeah, it must be near 10 years ago now. I was a head coach Balls played over the top, defender yeah. stuck at the halfway line, forwards in, 20 yards free, one-on-one yeah. with the goalkeeper. Goalkeeper sprinting out of the goal, screams, away! Yeah, yeah, there you go, there you <laughs> go. She, she goes around her and puts it in the back of the net. I yeah. was like, well, you, your communication was great there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it, you know, and, and I think purely and simply what happens is sometimes we get caught up in so much in the, the development of the goalkeeper Technically, you know, in just you know, in terms of you know, in possession, playing with the feet, distribution, so on, out of possession, looking after the goal, defending the goal, stopping shots, and dealing with one v ones. We we actually forget about the other peripheral parts, which are massively important. You know, so you know, it, it affects the goalkeeper and the team in such a massive way. You know, technically, um, you know, you're doing that stuff, but tactically, you know, the goalkeepers have got to be so aware now, and that's where I think that connection. Um, and, and integration into practice with the team as much as we can, guys. Because that then links the goalkeeper with the players more often. They're more familiar with them. The players get used to the goalkeeper's terminology uh, and when they're going to say things, how they're going to say things, what information they're actually giving. But also the goalkeepers put much more often into situations where they're having to make those decisions rather than doing it in isolated practice. A lot of the time unopposed, so there's no real opposition around the goalkeeper for them to have to make those difficult decisions. Integrate them into practice. Give them an, an opportunity to make those decisions as often, as often as possible. But then I think it's down to the skill set of the coach to not just be able to work in isolation with the goalkeeper, but actually to see what's happening in the game, what the goalkeeper needs to be doing, and then can you help them develop those decision-making processes through the game? And that's down to the coach's knowledge as well, I think. you know. Where do you stand, talking about goalkeeper's knowledge, where do you stand on these elaborate goalkeeper exercises? <laughs> that you, yeah, I knew this would get a laugh. Well, yeah. It's a co- common conversation in our office. Uh, you yeah. know, is, is it a good way to get the tennis rackets out? Are they a good way to jump over cars? Good way to engage the yeah. players or, yeah. or a waste of time? Goalkeepers, as far as I know, guys, they don't, uh, in the off season, go and perform at the circus. <laughs> so, I think you'll probably get a gist of where I'm going with this. I think the problem is, look, you know, 
people that do this kind of stuff. It, it, you know, on the eye, it looks lovely. Um, you know, and goalkeepers jumping through hurdles, you know, uh, moving through cones, all host of kind of different stuff. But how relevant is that to the actual movements and actions they create in a game? Very little. You know, I it's like people still do a lot of plyometric work in terms of, you know, um, cone work, um, you know, like stepping over cones and, and that kind of work. But again, I challenge it because how realistic is to the flowing movements that you want the goalkeepers to be making in practice. Whenever did a goalkeeper move across the goal and chop their feet, if you understand what I mean, you know, so lifting the knees up high to, to move to a position, very rarely, you know. I think for me, I, when I work with my goalkeepers, I try and restrict the amount of equipment I use because, again, they'll be looking for those as reference points when they're playing games. It's very difficult because they're not on the pitch. You know what I mean? We play with the ball and line markings and grass, you know, or turf or, or whatever they're playing on. They're very rare. You ain't going to have discs and markers and cones and everything else all over the pitch. So, you know, again, get your goalkeeper familiar and used to using the field itself as reference points. Um, you know, obviously, when they they play in stadiums and that, they can use the boardings and other things around the the um, environment to give them reference points. That's fine, but that's not actually impeding the movements on the pitch. Um, but you know, try and keep the practices as realistic as you possibly can, because then what that will do is give the the goalkeeper patterns of how to move, how to work, how to find positions on the pitch realistically when they go into game situations you know so i understand it's a, there's a place for everything so if you're doing physical work fitness work um, especially pre-season things like that fine or you know all that equipment will, will serve a purpose but if you do it too much the goalkeepers become too patterned in the movements too rigid in the movements and, and i think that's it becomes uh, inhibiting you know in terms of their realism when they go into game situations it's my view it's not going to appeal to everybody and I'll get shot down for it by some that love to do these kind of practices. But generally, the other thing that I think, guys, it it, it, um, it gets views on YouTube or it gets views on or, or shares on, on Twitter and Facebook and everything else. And then suddenly people get massively high profiles based on what? Because they can throw a few markers down. But can they actually coach the goalkeeper to become better and develop their skill set in each aspect if they haven't got all that stuff out on display? I doubt it very much, but that's my opinion, and, and some may shoot me down for that. One of the most common emails I get over here is yep. from colleagues looking for hiring goalkeeper coaches. Do you know a goalkeeper coach? Have you any good ones around the area? When we're going through this process of hiring goalkeeper coaches, obviously, from a head coaching perspective, it's not the same circles or community that we're used no. to. So what should we be looking for when we're hiring goalkeeper coaches and what separates an average one from an excellent one? Well, I think for me, first and foremost, guys, and, and, I, and I, this is the way I'm working life now anyway, and I say to everybody, I think you've got to look at the person first. You know, I think it's all right if somebody you know, knows their onions and are a good coach, but if they can't connect with people, you know, if they don't show respect or, or they can't communicate or... Um, you know, they they just they're not an, an a holistically built individual. If that makes sense, then I think you're asking for trouble. I think you know they've got to be able to connect with the players that that you're working with. You know, and people ask me sometimes. You know, you worked in you know I've worked across what six different formats of the game now. 
Um, you know, if you include futsal, if you include uh, football mainstream with men's and women's, if you include the disability format, cerebral palsy, blind, and I've worked with deaf players. So that's six formats of the game. For every format, guys, you have to be able to link and connect with people in a slightly different way. So unless you're that type of person, that way inclined, where you can adapt, where you have empathy, where you have a belief in what you do, where you know how to share and deliver your message. It ain't going to work. But I think some coaches find that difficult enough in, in one format. Uh, and again, it's not an ego thing. I'm not saying all that to impress you, just to impress upon you that I think more more than anything now, you, it's about the person. So if you can get that right, if the individual's trustworthy, if they'll go above and beyond, um, if they'll back you and support you, um, that's massive to what you're doing. And then, for me, you look at the, the, the qualities of the coach. You know, so what's their knowledge? What's their, have they got a bit of background in the game? That helps. It's not always has to be that they've got a fantastic background in the game and played as a professional. But if they've played in the position, then at least that helps and they've got some, some things they can reference to and fall back on. But I think, you know, what diligence have they then paid in terms of their own development? Have they spent time developing themselves as a coach? You know, the qualifications help, but also who have they linked with? Who, who have they worked with in the past? You know, who can you go to and say, look, what do you think? You know, if somebody somebody wants to employ me now, guys, they can, I can give them a list of people and go to them people. And it's not mates of a mate. It's people that I've worked with and I've done a job for that have appreciated what I've done and they'll then hopefully give me a, a decent um, reference or, or uh, you know, a, a, a glowing, you know, a, 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 this is Tony, this is how he works, this is how he operates and it helps you moving forward because you, you've, you've gone above and beyond and, and done the job that you've been asked to do. So, you have to look at the individual holistically, you know. Um, how do they prepare? You know, how much time do they spend on session planning? You know, what, what detail do they go into to make sure that the goalkeepers are supported or the players are supported in the right way? You know, I said to you now, the role I have, it's multifaceted. It's not just looking at the goalkeeper. It's also looking at set play analysis. It's looking at, um, you know, opposition goalkeepers. How much can you not just work with your goalkeepers, but help the group? How much can you input into, all right, what's going to get us a result this weekend? Because it might be one or two little pieces of gold that I could share with the, the forwards on the opposition goalkeeper that's going to get us a goal in the game that will win the game for us. And and I think, for me, that's what you need to be to be looking for in your, in your coach. And I think the other thing is is to look for someone that, that, that doesn't have too much of an ego attached. Do you know what I mean? So if you, know, if you need to sit them down and say, look, that didn't go right, that they're not going to come back at you. That they're not going to like throw their, their toys out the pram as such and, and go in moods and, and things like that. You know what I mean? That they can take the odd hit on the chin and deal with it, but come back better and stronger um, and look at themselves, you know, um, in, in a sense that, yeah, well, maybe I should have been better in that. And this is what I'll do next time to make that better. Um, so for me, that if I was a head coach, that's what I'd be looking for. That's the type of person I'd be looking to bring into my organisation or my setup. Um, you know, because that's the way I'd like to think that, that I work with people when I do. And uh, hopefully it's kept me in the game as long as it has. You've mentioned there about the work you've done with the England blind team in recent months. Yeah. Tell us about that experience and then what, what you've learned there. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, what, what a wonderful um, opportunity it was for me way back when, 2013, I think, just after the London Olympics, I was offered the opportunity to, to work with the, the blind squad. I think it, 
it, it, it came as part of or, or an add-on to the work I was doing around futsal. You know, blind football is a small-sided format in the game, five-a-side, you've got a goalkeeper, four outfield players. So my work around futsal for as long as I've been doing it um, kind of fit with that. And, and also I'd been working with the England cerebral palsy squad for a couple of years. Um, so again, working with uh, players with a disability and, and then obviously working in the international environment around that helped me. And I think the key was, like with all the formats I've got involved with, I think what I've, what I've done straight away is just immerse myself in that format, in that, that sport specifically. Same as I did with futsal. I knew nothing about futsal, you know. So I went and got and tried to find, source, as much knowledge, understanding of that format of the game as I possibly could. But then what were the specifics around the goalkeeper? You know, what, what did I need to do? Did I need to change the way, the way I work? Did I need to structure practice differently? Did I need to link the goalkeeper into the group in a different way? And it was the same with, with blind football. You know, you, you've got a fully sighted goalkeeper, fully able and capable of doing everything that they normally do. And then you're working with, with blind players, you know, totally blind footballers. Um, so who, who virtually work on, 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 on feel and, and sound, you know? So, Understanding how pivotal and important the role of the goalkeepers in that form is, is massive because you know they're literally the communicators and, and the eyes of the team, you know, for a lesser term. So um, their input, their connection with the, with the players is hugely important, and it, and it challenged me. You know, I looked at it and never once have I gone into a different format or, or working with a, a different squad and gone, oh, can't do this. No, the way I look at it is right. What do I need to do? How do I need to adapt? to um, smoothly transition into this group without any upheaval for them. So it's not about me, it was about them and about the group. So how can I integrate in as easily as possible without upsetting the equilibrium of the group? Um, and, and that's all I did. And, uh, you know, got to understand the game, understand the role of the goalkeeper, get to know the rules quickly and the laws governing the game. And then slowly but surely integrating a... a um, sort of a, a practice curriculum based on the, the realism and, and relativity of the game for the goalkeepers when we work and, and that's what we've done over the years and now I'm well I've been fortunate enough you know over the, the five or six years I've been around it to work with uh, in particular two of probably well, I would suggest the two of the best blind football goalkeepers ever that's Dan James twice Paralympian who's now no longer with us and currently Dylan Malpass who is a, a fine young man who had a background in mainstream football, drifted into futsal. Um, and then I sort of pinched him three years ago and brought him over to blind football. It was one of the best decisions I ever made. And now, uh, currently, again, not, not to impress you, but just to impress upon you how quickly Dylan's transitioned into this format. He, he last year was voted best goalkeeper of the tournament at the World Championships. And uh, about a month ago, he was voted best goalkeeper at the European Championships at the Euros, where we got a bronze medal. So we're on the right path with him. You know, he's still young. He's got loads to learn, but I, I think he can give the sport another 10 years at least. Um, but again, it's now about him. It's not about me. It's about what he needs now to maintain the levels and standards that he's at. What do we need to do to make him even better? Uh, but also, how can we um, add to what he does to complement the group? Because the next time we want to try and win the gold medal, not just the bronze, you know. So we we need to be better, um, you know, in the goalkeeping department to to aid the group to to get to that 
the holy grail as such the gold medal and that's what we'll be doing now so it's been a wonderful experience i love it i love working around the lads they're a fantastic group I uh, love working with the goalkeepers. It is a different format in the game, so it challenges you every time you, you get around it. Um, but the teams around the world are getting better, evolving, becoming better. So we've got to evolve with it and uh, we've got to keep up to speed with everything that's happening on the global global scale. Last one for you. These different formats of the game yeah. that, that you've yeah. been involved in, uh, yeah. is, has this been the the inspiration behind the, the Goalkeeping Intelligent website, the inspire and stretch and develop in a community of critically thinking goalkeeper coaches? Well, well, I have to, I have to tell you that. So uh, the goalkeeping intelligent format is a brainchild of, of Adam Woodage who, um, and Rich Lee, who were two guys I worked with. Um, Adam actually was the, the young man that wrote my book, A Modern Approach to Goalkeeping. Um, we, we connected a few years ago um, and, and obviously we, we got quite close and Adam's had a couple of uh, books published and then, you know, we spoke and he wanted to put some stuff around myself together and, and how I could share my knowledge. And we did that and, and it's been very well received. But Adam actually is the, the creator of uh, Goalkeeping Intelligence and, and it's it's really just shows his passion for the game. Obviously, he wanted me involved. So, you know, I, I play quite a decent um, size part in, in what happens there. Um, alongside other goalkeeper coaches and, and um, consultants around around that platform, but literally is um, to bring like-minded people together um, to be able to share knowledge uh, openly uh, and honestly, and, and also you know to get uh, detail and feedback from uh, in inverted commas experts around the world, you know, in in, in goalkeeping. Um, there's also the opportunity for the learners so you know people can take up a subscription and, and they get up access to to many different things there's courses on there uh, you know where they can they can actually do sort of a uh, a course where they can they, it's it's modules and um, they can they can it, it's sort of distance learning as such but they can also link in with the creators of those courses, the tutors, um, to gain further knowledge as they move through the course. So, for instance, I've recently put one on there, uh, which was, uh, you know, quite quite uh, close to my heart, which is now, you know, that transferable from futsal to football in terms of, of goalkeeping and development of goalkeepers. It, you know, it's huge in the game now in terms of the way the goalkeepers make saves and on the distribution side. But, um, you know, People go on the course, they sign up to the course and, and obviously they take up the course and they work through the modules. Um, but at any moment during that process, they can contact me directly via the uh, the platform and, and I can give them some, some help and assistance as they work through the course. Obviously, we want them to sort of work off their own back and and, and research, you know, uh, through the modules themselves. But if there's, you know, ever a point when they reach you know, a situation where they're not quite sure or, or, or something else occurs, then they can contact us directly and we can guide them and help them through the course. And hopefully at the end, um, we send them away to do uh, a task um, where they do um, sort of a bit of a, a case study uh, around, around uh, you know, an individual or how futsal um, goalkeeping might have influenced, you know, goalkeepers in football. And then we, we assess them, we assess that, that task and then we'll give them some feedback. And then, once they've done the course, post-course, you know, they're, they're fully in contact with us. So, you know, they're subscribers to the, the platform and we can help and guide them through other other areas that they may want to sort of enhance their learning. And, uh, you know, we're always on call for them if they need us. 
Brilliant. Well, we'll be encouraging all the goalkeepers, all goalkeeper coaches who are listening to, to get involved in that for sure. Fantastic. Tony, thank you so much. This was great. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate no, it. No, no. Yeah, listen, I love sharing the knowledge, mate. And uh, that's what it's about. You know, you can't take it with you. So I think while we're here on the planet and uh, we've got the opportunity to to care and share, you know, with others, for others, then, uh, you know, as I said to you, I'm not precious and possessive over anything. Um, more than happy to sort of share the knowledge and uh, just make sure that we look after the next generations of goalkeepers coming through because we have to pass it on at some point, you know. Thanks so much to Tony for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I mentioned at the start of the podcast that something that I'm starting to consider more and more in recent years is how to manage, support, communicate with goalkeepers and goalkeeper coaches in the environments that I'm in either as an assistant or head coach and something that I've definitely changing over the past 10 years when I was a head coach in college I had really good goalkeeper coaches I have to say but typically I let them just basically work in isolation not in terms of training they would do 15-20 minutes before or 15-20 minutes after and I used them with all the session but in terms of communication and in terms of aligning them with the vision of how we want to play, I, I wasn't very good at that there. And now that the game is becoming way more tactical and we're looking at challenging players and we're looking at solving different problems, it's something that I feel that I can get better at as a coach. And that's really the motivation for doing that podcast with Tony was a lot of self-development and, and diff- getting different insights. As I've started to challenge myself and try to get a little bit more information, a lot of it's been based on chats with Raddy here in Chicago. One of the things that I cringe looking back on is when I was a head coach and I was younger, uh, Wingate University, I don't know what year it was, we conceded a lot of goals against the run of play in the first five or six games and we had an awful lot of possession, an awful lot of shots on target. But when the opposition had two shots on goal they would score two goals and one shots on goal they would score one goal and I brought in the stat sheet to three or four of my goalkeepers and kind of you know, sat them down and said this has to be better this has got to be better we can't have this few shots resulting in so many goals and the percentages and the ratios are too high blah 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 it's only recently with insight from people like Raddy that I start to get a little bit more awareness in how wrong that was because as he explains to me Goalkeeping is easier whenever you're making save after save. It's always more difficult whenever you haven't been called into action for 60, 70 minutes. It's also very, very difficult to defend against counterattacks as a goalkeeper. Sometimes it's easier to defend whenever you're in a low block and you have players and support around you trying to block shots and block crosses. So just that perspective in goalkeeping and how that maybe changes your mindset and your thought process as a head coach or assistant coach I feel is very very important the game is obviously changing even by Tony's perspective there that I really enjoy what he's taken from England blind team the futsal team the work that he's doing in the FA the work that he's doing with his coaching badges and then the work that he's doing with the goalkeeper community online it's absolutely brilliant and it's only fair that if they're going to challenge themselves and get better, then we have to improve our processes around that. So I don't think it's good enough. Definitely not good enough to let your goalkeepers be on their own for 45 minutes and then bring them in at the end for a game. But I don't even think it's good enough now to not involve your goalkeeper in the decision-making process 
of the play model or the tactical analysis piece and all these aspects of the games that we're trying to get better at as a coach so really enjoyed that with Tony we'd love to hear your insight especially from goalkeepers and goalkeeper coaches I'm sure you have a number of opinions on this interview and we'd love to hear your thoughts so please let me know at Gary Kernin on Twitter at Gary Kernin on Instagram thanks so much for listening I will talk to you next week goodbye thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast for more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.